Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA show. We are your two hosts. My name is Noah Baker. I'm actually coming to you from the great state of Ohio today. No, I have not moved yet. The man to my right is in his mom's basement. That's Dominic Salee. Happy Easter weekend. Happy Jewish Passover. Happy um, Ramadan. Uh, for those of you who celebrate, I hope everybody has a great weekend, a great month. I know with those holidays, there's different times of the month that they're celebrating. So, Dominic, how are you doing today? How has it been overall this week for you? And how excited are you to get into everything we're talking about today? It's been a great week, man. It's been a busy week, getting a lot of work done. Um, but I'm excited. We've got two good cards, PFL coming back. They need a good bounce back week, by the way, after last week. And then the UFC's back from a week off. They're in Miami, Florida, the 305 for the first time in 20 years. I didn't realize it had been that long since they've been to Miami, Florida. That's a big market. So that's caught me off guard, but I'm excited. We have those to talk about. We got fight announcements, a little bit of, well, not a little, some big news that we're about to jump in off the rip here with. I'm ready to rock and roll, Noah. How was your travels home today? Are you excited to have a weekend with the family? Yeah, no, I'm doing pretty good, Dom. I'm happy to be back for my... Well, I guess I'll be needing to get used to this. You know, it's nice just to have a long weekend with the family. Mm -hmm. My grandmother uh, turned 80 years old uh, just a couple days ago or yesterday. To see some family, get some good ribs. Yeah, with that being said, though, today we got UFC 287. We have PFL 2 with the women's feathers and the heavyweights. We have fight announcements, like Dominic said, and to kick off the show. We have worlds colliding, Dom, as the WWE have been purchased for the first time in like 70 years, Dominic. The primary owner, the majority of the WWE will no longer belong to the last name McMahon. It now belongs to the last name Emmanuel. Ari Emanuel, that is, of Endeavor, the parent company of the UFC have bought a majority stake in WWE 51% Endeavor now owns. And Dominic, this is pretty big news, not just because this is the UFC's parent company buying WWE, but due to the fact that they are planning to essentially merge both entities into one publicly traded company uh, named TBD. However, the ticker symbol will be TKO. So maybe that's a sign of what the name could be. I think that's a pretty, pretty cool little uh, ticker symbol there. But Dominic, I think this is going to be an announcement. I, I mean, we're obviously, when we recorded Sunday, it kind of all came out like right after. So mm -hmm. I know a lot of people have given their takes on it. It's been a lot said. It seems like both fan bases are divided on this one. Um, on the WWE side, from what I can gather, obviously me and Dom grew up being big WWE fans. We do not watch in a hardcore capacity anymore, but we did watch WrestleMania. We'll watch a couple pay-per-views here and there. The gist I get is a lot of WWE fans are mostly just not happy about Vince McMahon being back in the driver's seat, being the essential guy running the show um, for ever since his scandal that came out early last year. He had been kind of out of that position 
and Triple H, Stephanie McMahon at points, they've been kind of running the show. So I, I get a gist that a lot of people aren't happy about that. Uh, for the UFC side, Dom, you know this. There's a lot of MMA fans that do not like pro wrestling and vice versa. There's a lot of pro wrestling fans that like MMA. Yeah. So it's really funny that these two are now coming together because people like us, you know, it's kind of exciting. But I think there's a lot of people that aren't going to like this. But I do want to remind everyone that MMA's roots do are pretty intertwined with uh, pro wrestling in a lot of ways. If you go back to, you know, the 90s in Japan, you know, many of those early Japanese MMA promotions were essentially doing a hybrid of the two. It was like kind of like they were almost scripting real fights. Like it was a mm -hmm. very, a very interesting. So. That, that's where guys like Ken Shamrock got their start and even, um, I want to say, like Frank Shamrock. So, obviously, there is a lot of history in the, and WWE. And I'm just going to give you a couple facts here real quick before I get thoughts. Dominic Ant, and a pretty big MMA fan for a long time, he had pushed his father Vince to purchase the UFC in the early 2000s. How about a few years later, one had purchased UFC and they were going all in on the Ultimate Fighter. This is their last chance. They are funding it. TV agrees to put it their channel due to the Fertitas putting up the money for it. Well, guess what, Dom? Spike TV had to actually go to Vince McMahon and get his approval for the ultimate fighter to air because guess what? It was airing directly after Monday night raw. And he did because he did not see it as competition. Not to mention some of the crossover stars like Brock Lesnar, now Ronda Rousey, even like Shayna Baszler, um, Matt Riddle used to be in the UFC is now in WWE. Uh, Brock Lesnar, of course, had to be approved by WWE to go fight for UFC 200. So, Dana and Vince McMahon seem to have a pretty decent business relationship. So, Dominic, this is very interesting. I'm curious what your thoughts are as a whole. Are you overall excited about this? Is there anything you're nervous about in terms of what this could mean for the product that we get week to week? You know, man, like, honestly, it came out of left field. It definitely came out of nowhere because I know for a long time it had been rumored Vince was uh, looking into selling – uh, over there in like Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia and stuff selling the WWE. So this really did come out of nowhere. But in terms of like, you know, the actual impact on MMA, first and foremost, our show, what our show is based upon, I don't think this is going to necessarily like directly impact the fight cards that we have or like, you know, like things like that. I don't think it'll be that, um, you know, noticeable. Maybe it could open the doors for like, some cool collabs down the line, though, like business-wise to get eyes on both the UFC and the WWE. But outside of that, man, and, you know, like marketing and whatnot, I don't think anything too wild and crazy will happen, at least as of right now with the information that we have. So it's definitely, like, for me, uh, for us even, I think it, it was it's pretty cool, man, being that we kind of vaguely follow WWE. We obviously follow the UFC uh, every single day, uh, all the news and everything. It's just a cool, and the... The headline here, Worlds Colliding, is the perfect way to describe this for guys like us that grew up with the WWE and are now uh, intertwined in the MMA world very heavily. So, 
yeah, man. I mean, honestly, that's kind of my thoughts. I, I, do you kind of foresee anything major coming this in terms of like, you know, an organization being heavily affected? If anything, it seems like the WWE would be more so affected because of Vince taking back full uh, charge of creative, you know? I completely agree with that. I feel like if you are a WWE fan first, then you probably have more cause for concern than as an mm -hmm. MMA fan or a UFC fan. I feel like for the UFC, the biggest thing you'll see, you might start seeing some more WWE uh, wrestlers or, um, you know, remember UFC 276, Dom, when Izzy came out with the Undertaker entrance and then mm -hmm. yep. Stephanie, Triple H, and Pat McAfee were there. Like you might start seeing them pop up in the in the stands a little more. You may maybe certain fighters will start do some you know wrestling inspired entrances. But in terms of the product, I don't expect it to change much on the MMA side. I think that uh, after this whole betting scandal due to the James Krause incident and whatnot, so I think there's going to be a healthy divide, even though they're under one banner. I think you're going to pretty pretty much keep it pretty distant between the products yeah. now for wwe yes vince mcmahon taking back control is something that a lot of people aren't very happy about i can't speak too much on that outside of like you know i i kind of get it i guess in a sense like he is like what 78 years old i mean, actually could be very interesting in terms of media rights because both WWE and the UFC are going to be up for new media right deals in the next couple of years. Of course, WWE had WWE Network back in the day that eventually got moved over into Peacock, which is the NBA streaming service. UFC has UFC Fight Pass, but then mostly ESPN Plus, ESPN Plus Pay-Per-View. That's where you can find pretty much everything new fight related on. Once these deals come up, Dom, I imagine having both of these just huge properties under one roof. Can you imagine the kind of negotiation power that is going to bring these two companies to be negotiating as one unit? Essentially a tag team, if you want to throw out the wrestling terminology there. And mm -hmm. whoever gets this, I could have I could see a world where I don't know. Let's I'm trying to uh, I, whoever would buy it right let's say it's some streaming service let's even say hey, I, I wouldn't even be surprised and ufc said you know what we're gonna start our own streaming service and you're gonna have to pay like a certain fee or whatever it might be it'd probably be pretty good dollar amount you'll get the complete libraries for the ufc and wwe um, you'll get the weekly cards. I, I don't imagine WWE will ever leave cable as far as Monday Night Raw. They do pretty well on cable. But then what if they had like a streaming service where you could watch the entire of both companies and, and you could get the premium live events or pay-per-views, whatever you want to call it. Say you're paying 25, 30 bucks a month. It sounds like a lot, but that would be great. If you could get that, you know, all of that, people would be upset because you're going to have MMA fans that are like, I don't want to be paying for WWE stuff. And you're going to, well, I don't want to pay for MMA stuff. Yeah. But that's, that's a big change I could see coming. If it were to be actually bought by like a certain streaming service or if like ESPN wanted to go in on having both of them on their service, 
I do think if you're a WWE fan, you could be more worried about right now. You only have to pay five bucks a month for Peacock and you get that entire WWE library. There's a lot of original content. You can watch all the old episodes, old pay-per-views, whatever. And you get every premium live event. But Dominic, as an MMA fan, we know that they get price gouge the shit out of the fan base. So I could see them trying to model some of what they've done with the UFC. Fight Pass is $10 a month. ESPN Plus is $10 a month. Pay-per-views are now $75 a month. Yeah, I could see them looking at some opportunities to raise prices on the premium live events for the WWE. And that's going to get a lot of backlash. But I think that's a world we might be coming toward. I, for one, am not going to be upset if we do like one big old streaming service with both. Hey, I'll be I'll sign up for it day one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm definitely with you there in terms of our fandom. That would be fantastic. One big umbrella with both of the libraries. It'd be very cool. And one last thing I wanted to say really quick before we move on is I just wanted to talk about the values of both these companies here in this acquisition. UFC sold in 2016 for a little over $4 billion, mm-hmm. I remember, and were valued uh, on Monday whenever this deal uh, came about at $12 billion, over three yeah. times the amount the company sold for seven years ago, a little under seven years ago to the date. WWE valued at $9.1 billion. No, I would have never thought that the UFC would be valued more than the WWE after the many, many, many years that they have been around. So that was just a really shocking point for me. What did you kind of make of that, those those numbers? Yeah, that that tripling in value. In, Isn't that crazy? I mean, what is it? It's going to be coming up on seven years. That's pretty nuts and honestly it's kind of like it feels awesome right it's like yeah we're really behind like something that's still growing massively but i do think it's a fair to point out i don't think the fighter pay has necessarily grown at that same rate uh, so that is something that i think again we can't really do much about it but feels like something that should be uh taking another look at if you will but um no i mean it's uh it was definitely surprising when i saw that I truthfully didn't really know where like WWE's value would lie. I wasn't sure. Cause again, it's the first time it's really being sold in this kind of capacity. So for it to be 9 billion, I mean, Dominic, we're talking a $21 billion evaluation for this new yep. company. Yep. Um, I imagine whenever it goes on the New York stock exchange, it's going to be a massive uh, going public, like massive event. Going to have a ton of investment behind it. And I mean, we kind of, the sort of, last time it really felt like this in terms of MMA was 2016 when Endeavor bought the company. I remember the kind of year we got that year, Dom, in terms of pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had Conor McGregor fight three times in one year. You had Ronda Rousey in that year. You had UFC 200 in that year. You know, I feel like this whole last few months we've been on with the UFC, we've been talking about how great some of these cards have been. Kind of makes sense. It looks like they were potentially acquiring – uh, another company and sort of starting their own thing. So um, I could see even more of that in the future. We could be looking at, you know, they really go all out for International Fight Week and we just yeah. have a year that feels like 2016 in terms of just every pay-per-view being like a must-see event. And I'm all here for that. Yeah, 100%, man. I couldn't say it any better. It's exciting times right now to be a yeah. MMA fan, but a UFC fan as it's, well. It's exciting 
I understand if people don't like it, but I think for the most part, if you're strictly an MMA fan, don't like pro wrestling at all, I don't think you're going to notice much of a change. Yep. Yep. I agree. So with that, Dominic, we are going to move on to UFC 287. Headlined by a massive grudge match here. Um, technically, the second time <laughs> these guys have yeah. fought in MMA, but it's actually the fourth time that these two will have fought because Alex Pajara has a 3-0 lead in this series, Dom. They have, of course, fought twice in kickboxing. Pajara winning the first fight via decision, second fight via pretty brutal knockout. Then the third fight, Israel Adesanya up on the cards. Alex Pajara, though, in round five, lands a massive shot. Is he not able to recover? Fight gets stopped. Is he still standing? I've seen some people come out mm -hmm. and say that they thought it was a late st or an early stoppage. I think that's kind of crazy, but I've seen it, you know, but it's, it is what it is. So now here we are. Is he one of the best middleweights of all time? One of the best, a guy that's really building himself a legacy into being an all-time great. For sure. And yet here he is up against Alex Pajara, his back's against the wall, a guy who he just can't seem to be. Even though if you go back and watch even the kickboxing fights, Dom, some people argue is he won the first fight, the decision. So the, the decision is a bit disputed. Second fight is he's winning until he gets knocked out cold. Third fight, he's winning until he gets knocked out. So it's not like it's a 3-0 like... You know, I know Max Holloway won, or Max Holloway, like the second fight with Volk is kind of disputed, but it's not like that where like the third fight is so just one-sided. Right. Like, okay, Volkanovski is just a better fighter than Max, and that's just right. the way it is. Here, I understand why the odds are what they are. Yeah. Is he a minus 130, Pajara plus 110? Even though Pajara beat him in the last time out and he has two wins over him in kickboxing, I get it. And yet, I've seen the chatter. I've seen what Izzy has said in the promo video that came out. He said, you know, good good for him. He got that win, right? But this is my story, and this isn't how it's going to end kind of thing. And I want to give a shout-out to a couple guys in the MMA community who've also talked about this idea of it being Izzy's story. Guys like Chuck Mendenhall put out a good video. Tommy Toehold with MMA on Point put out a good video about the rivalry talking about you know the actual x's and o's but this is something just i want you to think about a little deeper this idea that it's izzy's story you know and that would make sense if this were a movie alex pajara or a video game alex pajara is the final boss he is the last hill yep. for your protagonist your hero to overcome to slay to save the day to win the title to win it all but what if this isn't izzy's story what if he's not the main character of this story? What if this is a story about Alex Pajara, a man born and raised in the favelas in Brazil, a man who had dropped out of school at 12 years old, who had alcoholism issues at 14, a man who found kickboxing, combat sports, who saved his life. He goes on to become a kickboxing great. And now in just his fourth UFC fight, became a world champion after defeating a guy who looked like he was destined to become an all-time great. What if this is Alex Pajara's story and we are once again destined to see him 
prove that he is the better man in this series. What do you think about that? Oh, Noah, that is an all-time quote. Uh, that is an all-time moment on the Below Average Joe's MMA show right there. Um, that was worded quite beautifully. He gave me anal goosebumps, and I loved every <laughs> second of it. And it was beautifully said. Um, it very well could be Alex's story. You look at that story in the picture that you just painted, and it is something unmatched. It is unrivaled. You know, It is someone much like Charles Oliveira that came from nothing, came from the ghettos, uh, the favelas you know, of Brazil, to become the best in the world at their weight class to do it by dethroning a dominant long reigning champion, someone that will be considered an all time great when it's all said and done. That's an amazing story. Maybe even a better story than one that Adesanya could write. Um, and that's what I think makes this rivalry. So, you know, it's not personal. It's not one of those bad, like don't get me wrong. There's bad blood, right? But it's all stemming from competition. There's no extra added stuff. Even at the press conference today that I watched, nothing too crazy, man. These guys just, they massively respect each other and the skill sets that they present. And they want to be better than the other. And th we don't get rivalries like that that often, like truthfully. You know, maybe a couple times a year, a couple times every few years when they are long-standing rivalries like this one. And that's what I think is so special about something like this. It's fitting that they're going to be at the top of the bill here uh, in a, a very big year for the UFC thus far. I know Dane even said it's uh, one of the biggest gates they've ever had that's not been in Vegas and in Madison Square Garden. So take with that what you will. Obviously, you have another star on this card that we're going to talk about later. But this is a big one that is deserving of all the spotlight. It's deserving of all the praise. And, you know, you kind of said it. Became the champion in his fourth UFC fight. How many other people have done that in four fights or less? You know, like Brock Lesnar. Uh, I mean, gosh, it's going to be kind of hard mm. to... That's a short list, man. Like, that's the first one Oof. that came to mind. I know there's maybe one or two more, maybe. But, like, <laughs> this is special stuff. And if Alex wins this, Noah, I'll kind of flip it back to you. You can, of course, comment on me. But just with another kind of point I've been thinking all day, someone in this fight, and I think even the winner... Maybe a loser, especially if it's Izzy. But I think someone after this is going up to light heavyweight and going to get in the mix for a 205-pound title, especially if it's Alex Behera. And then there's a whole other chapter to that story that you just listed. And I know that's kind of a Monday conversation, but it's been on my brain, so I had to get it out there before I forgot it. Fire back, my friend. I I just can't get past this. Like, uh, it, it has absorbed my mental process for like a week now. This idea of someone believing they're the main character, they're the protagonist of this story, and it turns out that they're actually the final boss. They're the beast that needs slayed. And for Izzy, who has talked about this is his eight mile moment. You know, this is his story. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um. We're going to find out when it's all said and done Saturday whose story this really is, whose story will continue on this almost movie-like uh, trajectory. And for the loser, it's potentially, you know, the next chapter, the, the sequel starts there, right? And um, I don't know. It's interesting, though, because if Izzy were to win this, you kind of think that they're going to dangle that trilogy and run that yeah. right away. Yeah. But um, – 
I definitely think a move to 205 is probably in both guys' futures, especially Pajara. He's massive. Izzy obviously tried to go to light heavyweight a little bit prematurely, right. kind of got humbled against Jan Blahovich. But I think if he took the proper, you know, not necessarily as long as John Jones did, but if he took some time mm-hmm. and really got his body adjusted properly to 205, I think he would be quite the force there too. So this fight feels massive, Dom. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think both guys, you know, it's not like, if either of them lose this Saturday, that there's no shot they ever win a title again. It's not that their UFC career is over. Right. It's nothing like that. But it's truly two guys, one especially, who legacy has been on his mind from the day he walked into UFC, Israel Adesanya. Yeah. And for Pahara, Pahara's legacy feels like it's been so intertwined with Izzy. And you listen to him at the press conference, and he keeps saying, I'm not worried about the three fights before this is a new fight i'm preparing for this fight i'm not preparing for what i saw the last three times you can kind of get this sense like i know the community online has sort of labeled him as like the biggest hater like he's just, he's a guy that follows izzy wherever he goes and yeah won't let him won't leave him alone i honestly believe that that's not really who he is i seem to get this idea dom that he's ready to close the book on this rivalry and establish himself as an all-time great separated from the Adesanya rivalry. I don't think he wants to be, obviously, a chapter in Izzy's story. I think he wants to become the main character, become this great all-time story of a guy who came from nothing and achieved so much in two different combat sports. And it's an unprecedented story, like you said. Yes, yeah, I think that's very well said. I think it is. You know, and he said that uh, kind of for those that remember going into the first UFC fight between these two. He's like, you know, I don't care about the kickboxing stuff. It's a different sport. It's been many, many moons ago. I'm focusing on the now. And I think that's a great mindset to have. He said today that he doesn't believe that Izzy can come in the same way. And, you know, I think I agree with that. Can you really, if you're Israel Adesanya, come into this fight and be solely 100% dialed in on this present moment and not have you know yes the two kickboxing fights but then he came to your sport that you came to first and dominated and then beat you in your sport and he did it by knocking you out no that's gotta be back there Mm -hmm. in the head and izzy seems like a very mentally strong fighter always has seen that way always been confident but right it's got to be in there it's got to be in there He's very mentally strong. Maybe one of his best attributes, but Dominic, that has yeah. to stick with anybody. Not only has he lost three times to this man, you could argue, and even if you did the math, he's probably won the majority of the rounds he's faced this guy in. Yeah. This isn't you know, a guy who's just out of his league and he's just not good enough and he did everything he could and he just wasn't good enough. Dominic, he has been in the driver's seat to win at least a couple of these fights, but then it's just not enough. Bahara just yeah. finds a way. And I'm actually going to stick with that because I want to ask you, we've seen one MMA bout between these two, but it's in some ways it feels somewhat similar to how their second kickboxing fight went where Izzy builds a lead, looks like he's on his way to a victory, and then Bahara comes through with the monster shot that rocks him, and then he's able to put him away from there. We know these two are inclined to be kickboxers first. That's what Izzy's always been. That's where Pajara comes from. 
What does Izzy need to do different, Dom? Because obviously when I just said he's winning the majority of these rounds, but at the end of the day, he's down 3-0. Can he really go in there and fight the same type of fight he fought last time and win, in your opinion? You know, I want to say that he can, and that's only because he was winning that fight. So if he can correct the wrongs in that final however many minutes, then yes. However, I don't think that's necessarily the way that he should approach this fight. I think, you know, at the end of the day, he is the better mixed martial artist. He's mm. with one of the best teams in the world uh, and one of the best coaches in the world in Eugene Behrman. And I've even seen footage of uh, Izzy doing some grappling, doing some wrestling. And obviously, listen, I'm going to sound stupid if I just say Izzy needs to come out here and wrestle. That's how he's going to win this fight. Yeah, I mean, okay, cool. Way easier said than done. Let us not forget Alex Bahira's uh, takedown defense isn't all that bad for being a long-standing kickboxing world champion. But I think there is a world where Izzy can utilize a little bit of a clinch, can pressure Alex on the back foot into up against the cage, maybe gets a trip here and there. I'd have to imagine if he can at least get it down there, maybe he would do decent. I mean, let us not forget, we've seen, you know, glances against Marvin Vittori with Izzy's grappling and whatnot, even took Marvin's back in that one. So the, the, the technique and the skill sets there. So I think there's a world where he can use it, but I almost wonder, does he want to come in here and prove a point? And, and can that get in the way from the true best route to victory? That's kind of what I'm thinking. If anybody calls you crazy for bringing that up, I would just point to the Francis Ngannou performance against the real gun. <laughs> Yeah. Um, anything is possible in this sport. Like you just said, if anybody's going to have a grappling advantage here, it's going to be easy. He's trained yeah. in MMA longer. He's been around a lot more high level grapplers longer. Don't yeah. wrong. I mean, Pajara's working. He's working with Glover DeShera. Obviously, mm -hmm. he's getting that training, but he's just behind. You know, Izzy's yeah. been doing it longer. But let me put it like this, Dom. The way that Izzy has fought. Let's go off the last the last fight they had. You know, we're not kickboxing experts by any means. So the last fight, right? We the way Izzy fought in that fight is much like what we've seen Izzy do through most of his fights. You know, stay on the outside, counter striking, using a lot of footwork, a lot of speed, uh, good angles, all mm -hmm. that. Pajara has great technique as well but obviously has more trust in his power, his one-punch power, the stronger guy, the bigger guy, not quite as fast, but definitely more powerful. I think there obviously is a way Izzy can win because he's been so close to doing it. We just of saw course. that. He even almost put Pahara. If there was 15 more seconds in that first round, is probably out in the first round. Yep. However, do I think if... These two fight the way they fought last time a hundred times. Do I think Izzy wins 50? I do not. I think it's mm. less than that. I think Pajara, even though, again, five rounds, Pajara was down going in. I think Pajara finds that shot more often than he doesn't. Okay. I don't okay. think Izzy can fight the same way he did and win more often than he loses. I'm not saying maybe Saturday is one of those times when he can't. So then it comes down to well, what's he got to do different? What's he got to put the odds more in his favor? Well, obviously, being a mixed martial artist, you know, implementing 
at least threatening with uh, some sort of takedowns or what have yep. you. You know, he did kind of do that in the first fight a little bit. A little it was bit. a little sloppy. And I think the bigger issue, Dom, is he didn't have the confidence in it. And that's what I think is going to be the issue here ultimately for Israel Adesanya. If he is not confident in his grappling, it's one thing to be working on it through this training camp, maybe even focusing on it. You know, maybe he does feel confident. But once the door closes, once the bell rings, it's a different world. You're face-to-face with this guy who shows no emotion, who's beaten you three times. Israel Adesanya has gotten to where he's gotten in the UFC, not by being a wrestler. So I think when push comes to shove, he is going to try to win that fight the way he knows how. But if he does put enough confidence in himself to actually wrestle Alex Pajara, actually threaten with that, this could be a completely different fight. But I just don't have the confidence that that's what he's going to do right now. Yeah, man. I think that's, I mean, I can't even really add much more. Now it's just, it's that waiting game from a fan perspective. We're 48 hours out from one of the biggest fights that's going to happen in 2023. One of the biggest rivalries that are in the whole entire sport of MMA right now. It's the best sport in the world, baby. Let's go. Yeah. So let's talk about that co-main event next. Um, Gilbert Burns as a minus 475, taking on Mr. 305, game-bred Jorge Masvidal, plus 380. Obviously, the odds for this one might shock some people, or maybe they won't be all that surprised. Jorge Masvidal, of course, has been on a bit of a skid. He's lost three in a row, um, two to Kamaru Usman for the title, and then he lost his last fight in that big grudge match in the main event of UFC 272 with Colby Covington. Meanwhile, Gilbert Burns, I would argue, is one of the more underrated guys in this division. You know, he may not have a big winning streak, but you look at ever since he lost his title shot opportunity with Kamaru, which, by the way, he rocked Kamaru in round one, took that round before ultimately losing in the third round. Definitely one of Kamaru's tougher challengers on that title reign he was on. But he goes from there, Dom, and he it's not exactly been the building of big win streaks, you know. He did have that loss to Hamza, but you look at the performance he put on against a guy who looked so indestructible, he made him look vulnerable. You look at the way he beats a guy like Steven Wonderboy Thompson, his ability to just keep getting takedowns, keep pressuring with that top control. We know Gilbert Burns is kind of a complete package, Dom. He's got good, yeah. good striking, good wrestling, fantastic jiu-jitsu. Jorge Masvidal is a killer on the feet. He's 38 years old, three-fight losing streak. His back's against the wall. He's in his hometown, but he's even said, Dom, this could be it for him if he loses. My question for you starts with the odds. Do you feel like those are warranted for this fight as it stands right now? I think so. I think it makes sense. Um, you're, You're just looking at a guy in Jorge that's beginning to age, that has lost three straight, and, you know, I'm no, I don't want to talk bad about a guy that's on a three-fight skid because it's against the best in the world. It's against, you know, two title fights against Usman and then a guy that's about to fight for a title in Colby Covington. So there's no shame in those losses. But Gilbert is just really coming into his all. No, I think, honestly, yeah, I mean, you know, he had a moment in, in that fight against Kamaru, but then he kind of, you know, got relatively dominated in route to Kamaru getting a finish. But ever since then, 
even with a loss to Hamzat, Gilbert Burns' stock right now is the highest it's ever been. And if he wins this fight against Jorge Masvidal, booyah. There you are, Moyan. Mm. There you are, Gilbert. You're at the top of the world. You're at the top of the division. You're one of the biggest names in the UFC all of a sudden if you beat Jorge Masvidal in Miami. And I want to give a shout-out to Dean Thomas for this point here. Gilbert Burns may not be the best welterweight in the world right now, you know, right? He's not the guy with the belt around his waist. But he is probably, and I may even go out and say that he is the most complete welterweight in the world yeah, like from a pound-for-pound like skill set. And I love the way that Dean said that, and it really got me thinking today. And uh, I, I think he's just a really underappreciated, undervalued guy here, a guy that's been a jiu-jitsu world champion years and years ago, been in the UFC for a long time, has a phenomenal record, only has losses to the, you know, the top of the top in these weight classes that he's performed in. And this is his moment to take his name the highest it's ever been. I have a feeling this could be, could be a big-time statement fight for Gilbert Burns, Noah. What are you thinking for Jorge coming in? Because the biggest talking point this week has been Jorge saying, with a loss, probably hanging up the gloves. He said he feels that if he can't beat Gilbert... There's no point for him to continue fighting because that means he ain't going to get a title. I respect a man for saying that and being honest, being authentic. Jorge's always been that way. But give me your thoughts on that and what you think about these odds and how this matchup plays out. Yeah, it's tough because I want to. I respect it. I do that he's so honest about it. But it also is cause for concern, in my opinion, that um, I always get worried when people seem like they almost have one foot out the door. And I'm not saying that's what he has. But it does come off like a guy who is prepared for what happens when he loses. And that's probably a good thing. But it does worry me a bit about, I guess, the motivation maybe. I, I shouldn't say that because he obviously has all the motivation in the world, Dom. Regardless of what Dana White has said about Colby Covington being the next challenger for the title, I think if you're Jorge Masvidal, you look at it like you're basically the home team here. Even though Gilbert yeah. Burns has lived and is from uh florida has lived here for 10 years but um or masvidal is essentially the home team here and with a if he were to get a, a fantastic knockout a big performance which by the way he's purely capable of three fights yep. kid notwithstanding this whole new reborn jorge going back to the darren till fight has done nothing but knock people out in his wins by the way so just want to put that out there I think he looks at it like if I do something special here, like he's done before, he could, even if he doesn't necessarily pass up Colby for the next shot, he could get another shot. And a lot of people aren't going to like that. Bilal Muhammad, you know, is still sitting there. But when you have a chance to put the story that Leon Edwards and Jorge Masvidal have into a title fight in perhaps England somewhere, you're going to do it. You're just going to. And that's why I think for Jorge, there's a ton of motivation here. So it's like weird. It's like, as I'm talking about it now, I'm kind of flip-flopping. I'm like, well, maybe it's almost like a wounded animal. Nothing is more dangerous than a wounded animal, as they say. Yeah. And that's yeah. sort of what Jorge feels like now. His back's against the wall. He feels like this is his last shot. And once his back's against the cage, Dom, back against the fence, we know what he's capable of doing. Five-second knockouts with the flying knee <laughs> before John Ant can even get the Modelo ad out of the way. So yep. um, 
I don't think the odds are too crazy. I probably would have them a little lower. I mean, I do think there's a world here. There's a pretty good possibility that Gilbert just dominates this fight, and it's a pretty deflating showing for the crowd for Masvidal in his potential last fight. But I don't think it's crazy to think Jorge Masvidal has a better shot than you know a puncher's chance. Right. I mean, if you look at Masvidal's skill set, Dom, he's obviously going to have an advantage on the feet. Gilbert's really good on the feet, especially offensively. Doesn't utilize a lot of head movement. And Jorge Masvidal has great, great kicks, great punches, great combinations, a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Gilbert Burns held up very well against Hamzat, but he has been somewhat chinny in the past. You know, Kamar Usman, the way he was able to put him away. And probably before that, you have to go when Gilbert was fighting at 155, which mm-hmm. maybe speaks to why he was a little bit chinny down there. But it's definitely possible for a guy with Jorge's power to put him out here. And not just that, Dom, Gilbert Burns is a great wrestler. Don't get me wrong. But Jorge Masvidal's takedown defense needs to be doubled down on how good it is. And if it wasn't, it wasn't good enough to stop him from losing the Kamar Usman or Colby Covington. But what better way to prepare you for a guy who's a great wrestler, but not the best wrestler, mm. than to fight the two guys who are better wrestlers than him in this division and Colby and Kern. If anybody's going to have prepared him for this fight, it's those two guys. And he spent what? uh, 12 rounds with them uh, in total. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So I don't think it's crazy to think Jorge can win this and not just by a puncher's chance. You know, I think plus 380 actually is a lot of value for a guy like Masvidal in this spot. Do I favor Gilbert to win? Definitely. Definitely do. Even though Gilbert Burns is 36 years old in his own. Yeah. I, I Again, I tend to talk about this a lot, Dom. I don't put too much on the fact that he's only two years younger. Fight years play a bigger role in my fights. Gilbert's had a lot too. But also, I think Gilbert's a bit of a late bloomer. I mean, he's sort of still in his prime, and his prime didn't start until, if you look at when he fought Damian Maya, that was uh, 20, I want to say 19. So mm-hmm. he was like 32 when he really started to hit his prime. I mean, he's just a bit of a late bloomer. So I think he still is aging a little bit more gracefully than Masvidal is in terms of their fighting capabilities. But I do think this is going to be a great fight, uh, an exciting fight going in. We'll see if it ends up being all that great. I could see Gilbert, you know, really just controlling for the majority of it getting those takedowns when he wants to. But if, but if Masvidal can stuff a couple of them, man, this fight gets real interesting real quick. Oh, it definitely does. I mean, if Jorge can stuff some takedowns, get Gilbert to strike with him. I mean, look, let's just look at an example. When Gilbert got into a slugfest with Hamzat Chimaev, he was getting tagged. And Hamzat Chimaev is not as good of a striker as Jorge Masvidal is. So mm. I don't, you know, if he can make Gilbert stay standing, get him into a bit of a dogfight, you have to all of a sudden lean heavily toward Jorge on that side if it stays standing for an extended period of time. There's definitely some fun X's and O's. Obviously, it seems on paper it should be smooth sailing for Gilbert, but he has to go in there and he has to prove it. And uh, just quickly, like you said about Jorge potentially skipping ahead of people, there is still a world even where if he really does starch Gilbert somehow in Miami, 
he very well could even hopscotch Colby. I know it's it's slim to none. I think Dana's sticking strong on Colby being mm-hmm. next. But man, if you're the UFC to strike while an iron's hot to bring back that 2019 rivalry all of a sudden, London card in July in three months, whew, there's a world. There's a world. Yeah. And I, I this will be talked for Monday because I don't want to get too deep into it if I if because if Jorge loses it kind of goes out the window but I get it the way we kind of talked about Bilal versus Colby but Dominic I'm kind of just I think that situation has just made me accept that like the end of the if they book Masvidal and Leon Edwards I'm gonna be stoked I mean I I can't deny that it's a massive fight. You can ar- we can argue about the semantics of it, of course. I mean, Bilal on that winning streak deserves it, but this is a sport that doesn't really aw- reward the guys who deserve it. It's the guys who make it. You know, it's the yeah. guys who really grab that opportunity, not necessarily earn the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the rest of UFC 287 because there is a lot of fights that I am There's really excited ones. for, Dominic. But I want to let you start. As you look down the rest of this card, main card and prelims, where do you jump to first? Which matchup, which storyline sticking out to you? Well, good thing we don't have to look very far, no, because we got Rob Font, Adrian Yanez in the featured bout slot, and shoo-wee! Bantamweight just keeps on delivering hit after hit after hit. They just keep on coming. And this one's no different. Rob Font looking to defend his top 10 spot, taking a big step back. Adrian Yanez, Biggest step up of his career, looking to launch himself into the top 10. The storylines are all there. This is a main event worthy fight for a fight night, but I'm glad they're getting the shine on a pay-per-view and a featured bout slot. I mean, I want to look specifically here at Adrian Yanez. The dude's a beast. I love watching this guy. The X's and O's of this fight, it ain't going to be boring. This is going to be a striker's delight, a very tit-for-tat, back-and-forth barn burner. But I think there's a world where Rob Font's very, very talented boxing skill set. Could get the edge over uh, Adrian Yanez over the course of you know the entire 15 minutes. Adrian Yanez is coming off of wins over Tony Kelly, Davy Grant, Rainey Costa, Gustavo Lopez, Victor Rodriguez. Great wins. He's taking steps up. Not necessarily big ones, but going from Tony Kelly to Rob Font. Woo! I, I don't have. I can't. I'm not on the screen. Yeah. My top hand. That's how big right. of a jump this is here. So I get a little worried. But clearly the UFC sees something in Adrian. I believe in Adrian. I think he can be a long-term player at 135 pounds. But a win here against Rob Font is going to really cement that for me. And it's not going to come easy for me, Noah. Give me your thoughts on this one because this is just such a fan-friendly fight. It's not even really getting talked about, and it's so disrespectful. Yeah, very fan-friendly. This is definitely on the short list for potential fights of the night mm-hmm. here. And you have two guys that I would probably argue might have two of the best pure boxing games in the Bantamweight yeah, division. They got hands. Um, yeah. Rob Font's proven it at a higher level, and I think that's kind of the takeaway right now. I think it was really smart of Rob Font to take a year off. You know, he he had that war with Marlon Vera, where, and even before that with Jose Aldo, both in main event spots, both going to full uh, 25 minutes. And Dominic in both fights, Rob Font had great moments in every round. And when I say great moments, you know, he had great stretches. Like every round, I mean, again, the the, the Marlon fight set a yeah. record. Yep. He, he lost that fight. He, I always, 
I always get jumbled up trying to word the record, but essentially he got double or he doubled Cheeto Vera in strikes and lost the, the decision. Yeah. It wasn't a robbery. I mean, that was yeah. pretty yeah. much a beatdown, despite the fact that he doubled the output. And you know what's crazy about that, Dom, is if you really watch both those fights with Aldo and Vera, that's the biggest <clears> problem for him is he looks so good for sometimes three, three and a half minutes of a round. Looks like he's going to take it home. And then he gets rocked. And that's that happened to him against Aldo and Vera multiple times. You know, the Marlon yeah. Vera fight, I think he got dropped two or three times. All three of those were in rounds where he was kind of on his way to winning those rounds at times. And um, that's my worry here because I kind of – Yanez is definitely a huge step up. And as great as he can be, as much potential as he has, Dom, I do get a little concerned that this might be just throwing him a little too far into the deep end. Yeah, too much because too soon. If you want to go before Tony Kelly, his best win is Davy Grant. But the Davy Grant fight was a split decision, a highly disputed decision. And even like Randy Costa in that fight, that was like the, the biggest fight for MMA Twitter ever. <laughs> yeah. Randy Costa was piecing him up round one. And then Yanez came back and finished it in round two. You know, Gustavo Lopez took Yanez to the third round before he got finished. At the end of the day, though, Yanez is ultimately winning these fights, and that's what matters. The Tony Kelly performance was fantastic. The middle yeah. fingers, it was <laughs> yeah. you know, what a show that was. Rob Font, truthfully, even though he's fought better competition, much better competition, his competition he's lost to. Marlon Vieira wins before that, Dom. They don't necessarily age super well. Brand by decision, Marlon Moraes is the first round. I will say his win over Ricky Simone has aged pretty well, so I'll give him credit mm -hmm. for that one. But it does make me wonder if, like, you know, Rob was able to get that ranking against a guy like Cody Garbrandt, Marlon Moraes, these guys who were still on the downward, you know. Mm -hmm. and maybe he is very good, but maybe he's not truly elite. I think I would say Adrian Yanez has more potential, but I think right now Rafa might be the better fighter, and it could be another situation, though, Dom, where Rafa is winning the majority of the minutes in this fight, but Yanez has those moments, those moments where he the rocks Rafa, yeah. steals the rounds. That's what I could see happening here, but I could also see due to the fact that Yanez is essentially a zero threat in terms of wrestling, I think Rob Font's going to get very comfortable sticking that really good jab he has. And I sort of favor him in pure boxing standpoint. So if that's what this fight really turns into, it, it could be a very big, um, I guess, humbling moment for Yanez. I think so, man. I That's the thing... That's the beauty with fights like this. When there's so many questions to be answered on both sides of the coin, it makes fights that much more intriguing. So someone's got to, I think, honestly, this could be a great fight, but I think the winner does come out with, you know, having gotten a very good shine, a very good rub, um, and their stake mm. will be raised exiting this fight. Yeah, completely agree. The fight I'll take is right below it. Kevin Holland taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio. Here's my question for you about this fight, Dom, because I think it's a great fight. Yeah. Kevin Holland is always bringing a lot of fun when he fights, obviously, and he has the upside to be just 
a damn good fighter at his best, man. He feels like a guy who has really high potential. Yeah. Santiago Ponzinibbio is a guy who it felt like his ceiling was through the roof back in like 2017, 2018. Unfortunately, some pretty serious injuries took away a lot of his prime. Since he's come back, he's been two and three. He beat Miguel Baeza, which at the time I thought was a great win. Baeza, though, kind of been on a skid since then. And then his last fight out, he beat Alex Morano, who took that fight on short notice. And by the way, Morano was dominating a lot of that fight before getting finished in round three. And then he does have losses to the Leech. Uh, that was his comeback fight, first-round knockout. Jeff Neal and Michelle Pajara via decision. Both those fights, I think, if I remember right, were pretty close. So um, Ponzinibbio is still good, still a threat. And, you know, you kind of know what you're going to get with him at this point, I would say. You know, he's yeah. kind of he's kind of that back half of the top 15 guy at this point, a real tough test, but not a guy that I necessarily see ever beating like a truly elite fighter, a good mm -hmm. gatekeeper in a lot of ways. But this is what I want to ask you about Kevin Holland, because I think he's the one that I'm still having a hard time knowing what we have here at Kevin Holland. He shows flashes of almost elite potential. For sure. You look at his run through 2020. I mean, we were thinking this guy could be a champion someday. Yeah. And it seems like since then, he's kind of settled into this role where he's almost like a Donald Cerrone or a Nate Diaz. Where really, there to put on a show, but it doesn't seem like he's all that concerned with the wins and the losses. You look at the Stephen Thompson fight he's coming off of. He made the very interesting decision to agree to not take fight to the ground and essentially stand with a world-class karate kickboxer and Stephen Thompson, and he paid the price for it big time. And this is a guy who has really good jiu-jitsu. I know yeah. wrestling has kind of been his, you know, the black hole of his game. It's been something that he's been exposed on a few times, but his jiu-jitsu is really good. Mm -hmm. He's not just like a striker. At, like, that's not all he is. But Dominic, I guess, is this who Kevin Holland is? Is he this guy that's going to put on a lot of fun fights? He's not really going to be like a top-level guy. Like, who he is now, back half of top 15, is that really who he is? And is that enough to get past Ponzinibbio? Uh, yes and yes. And the, the thing is for me, though uh being like is this the type of fighter at the as, that he is is that it's a little frustrating because like you said there is a real potential there he's a really good fighter and i what is he is he uh 29 30 years old he just turned 30 in november so i mean he's still relatively young into this game uh, there, there's something there i think there is a run there that he can make i just don't know if you know, he necessarily sees himself in that light, I think is kind right, of a problem. Yeah. It's almost like, yeah, I think that's good. Um, right, yeah. Like almost a little, uh, maybe this isn't a fair comparison, but you know, like Derek Lewis kind of just there to fight a lot, especially like the last few years. You know what I mean? He just kind of has taken fights to fight. Mm -hmm. Obviously, yes, he's ranked highly. So it's different in that aspect. But in terms of the mindset, you know, Derek Lewis nonchalant, just fighting, not necessarily talking to get to a title. And the same's here uh, for Kevin Hahn. I just don't know if he, I don't know if he doesn't believe in himself, so he just plays it off this way, or if he just doesn't truly care. And maybe he's just like, dude, I'll fight anybody, anyone, anytime, and if it gets me to a ranking, then so be it. That's what'll happen. 
but you know, it's just weird. You don't see many fighters in positions like Kevin's in. I'd like to see him make that switch, and maybe this could be it. I think if Santiago, you know, if he can beat him, which I'm predicting him to do, he can, you know, get a top 15 opponent next and maybe put together a run. I mean, this is a guy in 2020 that won five fights in one calendar year. Not many people can say that they've ever done that in the history of the UFC, let alone the modern era. So I'd like to see him put it all together. You know, yes, in the cage, like in terms of fight IQ, I think there's some more that he's left to be desired, but also just him really wanting it. He's shown flashes. Do you kind of remember some of those moments at the presser where like, no. I don't want to be considered big mouth. I'm, I'm locked in. I'm dialed in on wanting to fight. I want to see that return. And if it does, and if it stays more importantly, I think we can have something with Kevin, man. I just need, I want to see it. I really do as a fan want to see it so badly. I think if the best version of Kevin Holland shows up here, then I think he runs through Santiago Ponzinibbio. I think so. Unfortunately, I don't have 100% confidence that Kevin Holland is going to show up. And Mm. I think it will because you look at the fact he's lost two fights in a row. I know the Hamzat fight was a weird one. He kind of did the UFC a favor by taking that fight. But the Stephen Thompson fight, as great as it was, also kind of – put his value somewhat it was a weird one it was like for the value he gained in terms of the respect and the durability and the heart he showed he also lost value in his fight iq like how we evaluate his fight iq yeah yeah perhaps his uh his his true potential you know so i guess for kevin holland i want to believe due to the fact he's lost two in a row that he'll come in here like okay i need to get a win and be focused on that at any means necessary, and I think he will do just that. But it's hard to have 100% confidence in him just due to some of the patterns we've seen. Yeah, no, that's completely fair for sure. Dominic, you want to take the next one? What do you got? Yeah, as bad as I want to talk about Harul Rosas Jr. and Christian Rodriguez, I, I kind of want to talk about something else that I think is going to be just a better fight. Um, and maybe you can take the reins on that one if you want to, but I think we do have sure. a low-key banger here with Chris Curtis and Kelvin Gastelum, okay? Chris Curtis really hasn't been in a doll fight in his entire UFC career thus far outside of the short-notice main event that he had with Jack Hermanson. That left a lot to be desired. Kelvin Gastelum, always in fun fights, been fighting in the UFC for like a decade now, and he's still only like 29 or 30, which is crazy. Haven't seen him since August of 2021, a very, very long layoff for Kelvin, unlike Kelvin Gastelum. I know he's had a couple fights fall out that he's been scheduled for. But Noah, I mean, he's coming back in here. He's ranked 15th. Chris Curtis ranked number 14. It's a good comeback spot for Kelvin. It's a good next fight for Chris. And that's what I think I'm so intrigued with. And the odds would say so as well. I think even right now, uh, going into today when we're recording, Chris Curtis plus 100, Kelvin Gastelum minus 120. But everywhere you look, you're going to see different lines and not lines like, oh, Kelvin's minus 170 on this book. No, on this book over here, he's going to be plus 100 and Chris Curtis is going to be minus 120. It's yeah. really been back and forth all week, but I think that's warranted. This is a fight where, you know, you have this is what I kind of said to Noah off recording and we'll, and we'll talk about it later in the bet slip as well. But with Chris Curtis here, he has shown near, if not perfect, takedown defense. Okay. Kelvin Gaslam is a very, very good wrestler. Honestly, an underrated one because he doesn't use it all the time. He used it a ton against Ian Heinish and dominated that. That was his last win. 
Um, but if he chooses to use it here, I don't think it comes that easy. I think Chris can keep it on the feet. And when this fight's on the feet, I think we've got a dead even heap here. Now, I think as an all around like stand up boxer, Kelvin has very fast hands, but Chris Curtis mixes in some kicks. He mixes in very good body work. Like his jab is lightning quick and sharp. This is a very, very good fight. You could ask me tomorrow who I'm picking to win, and my mind could change. Obviously, my money can't do that, but my mind could. Give me your thoughts on this one because I think we're in store for something really good here. I think it's going to be a very close fight. I do. Mm -hmm. I guess what gives me the lean toward Chris Curtis, obviously, one, Chris Curtis is on a better streak. He's won Mm. four of his last five. Kelvin Gastelum has lost four of his last five. So in that sense, yes. But obviously the competition aspect, you take that into account. Kelvin Gastelum fighting better competition overall, even though they do have a mutual loss, Jack or Manson. I think that's the big difference, though, Dom, what you mentioned about the takedown defense for Chris Curtis, because you know Kelvin Gastelum does have probably the more well-rounded game. Yeah. And – if he were to be able to get that fight to the ground, that would be a great asset for him. But if this does stay on the feet, I tend to favor Chris Curtis overall. You know, Kelvin's just – he's a tweener, man. He's a weird spot because mm-hmm. he doesn't quite fill out enough for one division, yeah. but then he seems like he's too big for another division. So he's kind of stuck here being an undersized 185-pounder. If the, if he fought at like 175 pounds, you know, he'd probably be – one of the, the top champion. guys in the division. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but instead he's, he's fighting guys bigger than him. And uh, Chris Curtis packs a punch, man. He is a tough guy. You look at the way he outstruck like Adolfo Vieira. I know Adolfo Vieira is like a jujitsu guy, Yeah, but I mean, just the way he was able to mix in the leg kicks with the strikes, he knocked out Joaquin Buckley, which is not mm-hmm. an easy task to do. I like Chris Curtis overall, but I think it is going to be a close fight because both these guys are super durable. Combined, they've only been finished four times in their entire MMA career. That's two each. Kelvin's have both been via submission. Curtis was knocked out in a PFL bout, which, fun fact, he wasn't even supposed to be fighting in. But they actually came back and grabbed him as he was about to eat some chicken and waffles (laughs) and asked him to suit up and go out there. And then he got knocked out by Ray Cooper to third. And then he also has a loss via submission. So if this fight stays standing, I think going to a decision is a pretty, pretty safe bet. Yeah. Um, And with Kelvin, unfortunately, I'm at a point now where I need to see it. Hmm. I have really been believing in him. You know, I look back when he fought Israel Adesanya and gave him one of the, the, the toughest fight before Pajara of his entire career. And I really kept waiting for that Kelvin to show up again. And he just hasn't. The win over mm-hmm. Ian Heinish, Ian Heinish is not in the UFC anymore. Yeah. You know, that that does not say a whole lot to me. I get it that the guys he's losing to are at the top of the division, but at the end of the day, Chris Curtis, I think, is a guy on the level of a Jack Hermanson. Yeah. Or yeah. A Darren Till, the Darren Till that fought Kelvin Gastelum, you know. I definitely think Chris Curtis is of that caliber. Do I think he's much higher than that? Do I think he has the potential to be in the Robert Whitaker Cannoneer range? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think this is a tough, tough matchup. It's the right matchup for Kelvin to come back to, but it doesn't make it easy. Yeah, well said. Um, so I will take Raul Rosas Jr. taking on Christian Rodriguez. Uh, Rosas Jr., of course, is the 18-year-old phenom. <laughs> The the 17-year-old when he fought on the contender series, 
Uh, he is making his second appearance officially in the UFC. He got a first-round submission over Jay Perrin in his debut. Uh, seven and no six finishes, five of them via submission. Christian Rodriguez, though, eight and one. He does he did lose uh, one of his two UFC bouts so far, but that was against uh, JPP. Jonathan yeah, Pierce, dude, so. that ain't a bad loss. <laughs> yeah, went to a decision with them as well. So uh, Christian Rodriguez this is an interesting test for Raul Rosas Jr. here, and it, it's going to be interesting to see. If Rosas makes quick work of Rodriguez, which he could, I mean, he could just because we know how how already fully just developed his jujitsu game is. If he gets this fight there, man, it is tough. Even though Christian Rodriguez has four wins via submission in his own right, so definitely a guy who has the well-rounded game. But you got to think that if Rosas gets this fight there, it's probably going to be, you know, curtains for. Christian Rodriguez, but if Raul Rosas does make quick work of him, Dom, I mean, they're putting Raul Rosas on a main card at 18 years old in his second UFC fight. We could be potentially looking at a guy who could get fast-tracked, and I don't think that's the right move. I think this this is a kid who ultimately needs a lot of time to fully fledge out that whole game, fully flesh out that whole game. But where he stands today, you look at what he did to Jay Perrin, where despite being 18 years old, he essentially outmanned Jay Perrin. Was yeah. I mean, yeah. he looked like the man in the octagon. I could see that happening here. But Dominic, even my younger cousin, who was like in high school, reached out to me and was like, because he's trying to get into MMA. He listens okay. to the sometimes. Shout out to Jackson. He reached out to me and was like, what do you think about Raul Rosas Jr.? I've been hearing stuff about him. So it's obvious this guy yeah. has the potential to be a real star. Yeah, It's just how you do it. I'm a little nervous with this placement, the idea that maybe the UFC are thinking big, quickly, like trying to break a John Jones record for you know, early or youngest champion. I just think he needs some time. But I do think he's great. I mean, I think he's got such a great – elite skill already it's just about you know fleshing out the rest of that game well no that's the beauty here right with how raul rosas jr with that john jones record specifically and what the ufc could potentially look to do they've got five years to work with they can really if they want to they can genuinely take their time and pick proper fights again no easy fights but fights that just make sense for where he is step-by-step. Step. They have to really approach this on a fight-by-fight basis. Okay, he did this against Jay Perrin. Let's see what he can do against Christian. If he does X and O versus Christian, what can he do against this next guy? Like With someone as special like this, spearheading the future of Mexican MMA when it's on fire right now, by the way, mm-hmm. and really just not even Mexican MMA, but the evolution, the, the next evolution of mixed martial arts with the young guns that have been, you know, again, I think we've talked about this before with a lot of people came up with, they had wrestling background, they had a boxing background, so on and so forth. Now with people like Rosas jr, they have trained MMA. Mm -hmm. They have come to gyms that are MMA gyms and they have trained every aspect of the sport. Yes. Some they've done it heavier than others, but the entirety of the sport they have worked on since They've been seven, eight years old, and he is really leading the charge. I'd hate to see it get spoiled by being rushed too soon, like we've seen happen. So, again, partial Monday conversation, but 
there could be something big here with this. Kid. Yeah, I don't think it's a rush for this matchup. Like again, I'm yeah. more concerned with the placement of the fight rather mm. than matchup. Yeah. And maybe I'm just looking too much into it. I'm happy on one hand he's getting such a shine because he is starting to get those rumblings of being like a real big deal. And he should be. He's 18 years old. But I just maybe I should focus on this more on Monday. But it's just, you know, it, it just I don't want to see them move him too fast. Yeah, no, I agree for sure. Uh, is there any other fights you want to talk about, Dom? Um, I mean, we definitely have a good prelim card for sure. I mean, GM three's taking on B Joe Pfeiffer. I think that mm-hmm. could be an absolute banger. That ain't going the distance. That's I don't care who fight. wins. I do lean Pfeiffer in that one. And another one I just wanted to touch on quickly is Michelle Watterson Gomez and Luana Pinheiro. Okay. Now, Michelle, it's been a little bit of a layoff for her. When did she, when did she fight last? It was in July last year. So not too long. It was against Amanda Lamos. She's getting up there in age. And she is the betting underdog in this fight. She's 37. Now, I like what I've seen from Luana in her two UFC fights in the Contender Series. However, her last fight was in November 2021. It was against Sam Hughes, who's also on this card in the early prelims. But then she blew her knee out. So she's coming in off a very long layoff, off of a knee injury. And her level of competition, I mean, let's not forget the way she beat Random Marcos. I'm sorry, I repeat, I can't hold it. Pause. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Noah, it's good to have you back. I hope you feel much better now as we turn the corner on the halfway point of the show. Um, but like I was saying real quick, just on Luana, I, I, I do like what I'm seeing here, and we don't have many young prospects like her at 115 pounds. We've talked about how flyweight has that, and strawweight has a lot of the you know seasoned veterans, and that's what makes them so good, both divisions. Um, so I do like Luana here, but in this spot, against a very good striker and honestly just a well-rounded fighter in general for Michelle. I think she has very underrated grappling and jujitsu. Um, now maybe the takedown defense could be the problem here with Luana, but we'll see on Saturday. But I just, I, I lean in the underdog. I lean for the veteran experience of Michelle, uh, her skill set, the competition that she's fought. I, I don't know. It, I feel like this is a bit too much of a leap for Luana. Like, yeah, you beat Sam Hughes, but you've also been out a year and a half. You tore your knee. You've only had two fights in the UFC, and now you're fighting Michelle Watterson Gomez. I get a little worried here. And don't get me wrong, if she comes in and starches her and gets a good win, that's great because I'm looking for that at 115 pounds. But maybe like Adrian Yanez, I just this might be too much too soon. So I'm I'm just keeping my eye on this one closely. I completely agree with what you said. And you look at her other fight in UFC, that was a DQ win against Ronda yeah. Marcos, and that was a first round DQ. Yeah. So it's like hard to even yeah. Say much about that fight. Plus, like, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with what you said. I actually think this fight speaks more to Michelle Waterson taking a proper step back after the mm. kind of skid she's been on. Yeah. Yeah. Than it does like them really trying to launch Lu- Luana Pinero into like the top Good 15. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Gerald Mirchard, Joe Piper is a banger. Um, I, I'll have something to say about that in the betting portion. Um, you know, the other women's fight on these prelims, Dom, Cynthia Calvillo, Lupe Godinez is an yeah. interesting fight because obviously it's hard to have a lot of confidence in Cynthia Calvillo. Not only has she lost four in a row, Dom, she's looked not very good at all in a lot of these fights. Even there was the one, I forget who she was fighting, where she almost was like quitting on the stool, like crying on the stool. It was kind of a a weird one. And, you know, I always, I kind of thought she might have been retired, but she's actually going back down to 115. 
Yeah. She spent those four fights on her losing streak. Those were all at 125. Lupi Godinez is a she's an interesting one because when she looks good, she looks really good. Yeah, like, dude. You look at the way she ragdolled Ariani Carnalosi, you know, her first round sub over Silvana Gomez Juarez. Like she has her moments where she looks really good. And then, you know, like the Luana Carolina, that was that was, I believe she stepped up on short notice for that yeah. fight. Yeah. Uh she did lose a decision there. Luana, to her credit kind of a tough matchup in terms of size because loopy mm. is a bit on the small side here but angela hill her last time out wasn't her something interesting about that fight and i can't remember like wasn't there something weird about it was it a war like there was something it, it was a war and loopy kind of decided to go completely away from her grappling yes. and just strike with angela yes. You know? yes okay i was glad because much somewhat like what i said with kevin holland Lupi Godinez is a lot of fun, and she does feel like someone with some upside, but I do wonder if she's almost just destined to kind of pick, you know, put on a show rather than mm. trying to get a win. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that for sure. And, I, I, and Cynthia, like, is an interesting underdog choice here. Like, I don't feel confident enough to take her, but mm -hmm. being that she's in the plus 200s, you know, I get it. Why? Because I do think Lupi at her best should put away Cynthia pretty easily. But it's it's also possible that Lupi just sort of fights down to her in a lot yeah. of ways. Very good points for sure. So um, we will move on from there, Dominic, to the fight announcements portion of the show. Mm -hmm. Just a couple ones. One that's hot off the presses. Obviously, yeah. this is probably going to be focused more on one fight than any others, but. I'll just quickly mention, we do have a shakeup on the May 13th card in Charlotte. Uh, this was announced today. That's going to be an ABC card, which I think is pretty cool. Shout out mm -hmm. to that. Anthony Smith, Johnny Walker was your originally scheduled main event, but they have since uh, swapped that with the co-main, and now Jailton Almeida versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike takes the main event spot. Apparently, the UFC were looking to put another fight on there to try to maybe get a better main event. Mm. couldn't quite get it so they decide to go with jail to now made a rosenstrick instead i'll let you get your thoughts you know on that shakeup. Mm -hmm. but i'll also mention macy barber taking on amanda hebus on june 24th dominic this is also going to be an abc card so we're going to be doing oh. abc cards uh here for a couple months in a row which is uh nice to see hmm. and then july 6th ufc 290 international fight week we will have Alexander Volkanovsky back at featherweight, taking on the interim champion, Yair Rodriguez. Unsure if this will be a co-main or main event. At first, it was kind of being announced as a co-main, but then Ariel Hawani's come out and said that uh, apparently John Jones and Stipe have not even been discussed as the main event of this card. Hmm. So this is right now the favorite to be the main event. But, you know, just overall, what are your thoughts on these? Yeah, so uh, the May 13th switch around, I have no problem with. I'd, I'd like that Jalton's getting a chance to be in a main event slot. Honestly, like storyline-wise, it's all on one side. There's not mm -hmm. a ton of storylines for Rosenstroik. So, I mean, maybe there's more for the... Man, uh, what a win, though, for Bitty Boy if he could yeah. like, take out the hottest prospect. If, if See? I guess if you don't count Tom Aspinall prospect anymore. Yeah. He'd be like the hottest prospect at heavyweight, probably one of the hottest prospects at heavyweight in a long time. Yeah, very good point. Very well-rounded fighter, Jelton is, and he's been steamrolling mm -hmm. everyone. So can he even be tested? 
Maybe Biggie Boy can do that. Macy and uh, Amanda Hebos is a great fight. Macy, quick turnaround. She just fought, mm-hmm. wasn't it la- two weeks ago, I guess, yeah, and now she's going in June. Also, Marcel randomly dropped in. I Like, yeah, they announced the fight, which is awesome. But then it's like, oh, hashtag UFC Jacksonville. They're going to Jacksonville, Florida yeah. for this card, apparently, yeah, as well. Fun. So that'll be cool. They haven't been there in a little bit. Uh, and then Volk Yair, we've been waiting on it. We knew it was coming, and they deserve to be International Fight Week. Shout out to Volk getting back-to-back spots on an International Fight Week card. The come-up that he has had as a star in this company is quite magical. My fandom for him over the course of our podcast is quite magical. So I love this for him. I love this for Yair. I'm going to be honest, Noah. Give them the main event. If we can't get John and Stipe, don't even look for a higher weight class. Give them the main event. Get us some women's title fights uh, or like um, um, Brandon Moreno maybe can be put on that card. Uh, but make them the main event. No issues for it. I think it's a huge fight. I think it is too. I have no issues with it being the main event. I would be very disappointed if we don't get of John course. Jones and Stipe. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on there. Like, what do you mean? That was such an ominous tweet from Ariel. Just like <laughs> it hasn't even been discussed. What do you mean yeah. it hasn't been discussed? How yeah. hasn't? How are both guys discussing it? And the UFC is not. I, something's weird there. Yeah, yeah. But um, I could. I've I've seen some people saying potentially they could do that rematch with Valentina and Alexa Grasso in the yeah. main, and uh, I'd be very cool with that if you had a couple. That'd be a couple pretty big title fights. Some people might feel disappointed in bulk. For some reason, I saw some people saying like. This isn't like a big international fight week card if like Volk and the Ayer is the main event. Oh, I could that's disagree more. That's yeah. I mean, Volk is one of the pound for pound best fighters in the entire company. He's the longest current reigning champion. Yeah. Unless you count Amanda Nunes at women's featherweight, I guess. But Yair Rodriguez looked phenomenal in his interim title bout. I think it's gonna be a really tough fight for Volk. It's a really exciting fight. I I couldn't be more okay with that being a main event. Let me let me hit you with a question here. Okay. Now we've had the Mexican talk, right? UFC yeah, not going yeah. to Mexico in 2023. And I said, you know, it'd be cool to have all three there. The realist and you came back and said, well, yeah, that'd be cool, but they won't do that. But they do save three title fight cards yeah, yeah. for International Fight Week. They save them for MSG. <laughs> Noah, do we get the Mexican takeover? The three Mexican champs, three title fights, International Fight Week? You know, that seems like a reasonable ask, Dom. It yeah, does. And, you know, I mean, if one of them can't work out, you can always have Irene Aldana slide in and you still can get three Mexican title fights. Yeah. I, I mean, what the hell? Them. What? I've not. That fight was like came out of nowhere, said Nunez <laughs> and Aldana. And then all of a sudden it just wasn't happening. And now we've not heard Nothing. anything about Nunez. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So. so, yeah, either one of those would be a great addition. And, you know, Pantoja, if, if assuming he'd be the one to fight. Uh, Moreno, you know, he's a guy that's lacking a little bit of that name value. I think mm-hmm. you put him on a huge card like that, make him the, the first title fight. Yeah. I think that could do a lot for him if, especially if he's able to beat Brandon Moreno again. I yeah. Mean, and Brandon's big so big, like in his own right, he deserves some shine to be on a card this of that magnitude. I, I'd love to see him try and work it out with those fighters if they can. You're right, though. That'd be pretty cool. It's International Fight Week. International. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why not do a bit of a Mexican focused, you know, a bit of a Mexican spin on that and have it be, you know, their three, whether it be Moreno or Aldana fighting for a title. Um, I think that would be a really cool thing to do if you can't go to Mexico this year. 
Yeah, and even another wrinkle. Now I'm rambling. I'm sorry, but you said, <laughs> you know, international flavor being International Fight Week. Well, yeah, it's three Mexican champions. All three of them would be fighting someone from completely different countries. You have Australia. You have Kyrgyzstan or wherever Valentina's <laughs> from. You have, um, um, why am I blanking on, what am I blanking on? Oh, Pantoja would be from oh. Brazil. You know what I mean? So you're getting flavors from all over the world. No. We got to do it. Come on, UFC. No. If you're not doing Jones and Stipe, that's yes. the best choice. For sure. Uh, but yeah, everything else I'm cool with. Don't have much thoughts on that main event switch. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've been a little bit critical of heavyweight main events in these fight nights, but you know, neither fight feels like a main event. I'm not, you know, I, I always say like Jailton Almeida would be the kind of guy in terms of how I value him, where he's at in the stand in the rankings, where I'd be like, here's his test to see if he can go 25 minutes, but it's heavyweight, you know, it's not really mm-hmm. The same rules don't really apply. <laughs> yeah, there's an you exception. Know. But it will be interesting to see because he's a guy that's run through people so quickly. Biggie Boy does have some decent takedown defense. If Jailton gets stuffed or can't put away Rosenstreich in the first couple rounds and that fight gets extended, we've seen Rosenstreich go yeah. at most of 25 minutes. Good points. Um, so with that, we were going to talk about the PFL too, not to be outshined here. Women's featherweight and heavyweight. Ultimately, I think these are the two weight classes, though, that probably have the least star power in their their seasons. You know, Kayla Harrison, of course, not being a part of it. Uh, Your main event, unfortunately, the originally scheduled main event was Ante D'Elia taking on Jorgen DeCastro, but Ante D'Elia is out with an injury. That was last season's heavyweight champion. So uh, his, uh, I guess, season standings a bit in limbo right now. But your main event now is Larissa Pacheco, who had her big moment last year. She won the Joey for Madam MMA. Yeah. Yep. Due to her win over the undefeated phenom Kayla Harrison. Well, now she's fighting a featherweight. There's now a women's featherweight uh, season, not women's lightweight. And she'll be taking on Julia Budd, the former Bellator champion, who I was kind of excited about when they brought her in. But unfortunately, it's not been the best of runs so far. She's one and two. Inside PFL, she did lose her last bout in the championship to Aspen Ladd, who's also on this card. So we're just going to start with that main event, and obviously we're going to kind of preview this season for the women's featherweights as a whole. Pretty simple question here, Dom. Hmm. Is there anyone who can stop Larissa Pacheco? I feel like the only person that can stop Larissa Pacheco is Larissa Pacheco. And that's only because Noah, it's at featherweight and not at lightweight now. So how's she going to look 10 pounds less? Um, She hasn't fought at that weight in a while. So yeah, can you know? So I think that's my biggest question. But outside of that, I mean, you know, Julia Budd, don't get me wrong, I think is a good starting matchup. That's a fight that we wanted Kayla to have and never got to see it. So we'll see. I mean, I don't envision Larissa having too many problems. So I feel like the only fair you know, kind of name to point out here would be an Aspen lad. And maybe that's just the old fan and me coming back out again. But, you know, Aspen didn't give me everything I wanted to see in her PFL debut against Julia Budd. So I even think if those two get squared up with one another in this regular season or in the playoffs or in the championship, I just, I think you're going to be hard pressed at the, the state of this division to find someone that can really beat Larissa. I mean, she is on top of the world right now. She dominated everybody the past two years you know and even in the fight that she beat Kayla 
she went the distance against her and like really looked good. Like it's mm-hmm. not all just that first round knockout power for her. She has a complete skill set. And I think we're going to get to potentially see more of it this year because there are some more prominent names than there would be at lightweight. But all in all, man, I think she goes back to back here and gets a second title early prediction anyway. Yeah. She is a massive favorite here. Minus 800. I believe Ooh, wow. when I last saw it and okay. you know, that feels pretty steep, but also, you know, Julia Budd just isn't looking quite the same in Bellator. She actually is coming off back to back losses. Both that fights she had last season were losses. Jenna Fabian, and then Aspen Ladd, maybe 145 is a bit more suited for her. But, uh, yeah, it feels like it's Larissa Pacheco's division to lose. Yeah. I will say I am a little bit concerned about the weight cut for her because she's mm-hmm. big. I mean, she's, yeah. she's pretty big. And you know what? I have criticized you, Dom, for holding on to this hope you have with Aspen Ladd. I've been, I've been kind of the devil on your shoulder saying, mm-hmm. no, give up on her. She's not that good. I actually agree with you. I think Aspen Ladd is the toughest competition yeah. for Larissa Pacheco in this season, and I would actually be excited if those two could somehow be matched up, whether it be in the playoffs or the final championship, whatever it could be. Obviously, Aspen Ladd taking on Olena Kolesnik, who's coming off a first-round knockout loss to Larissa Pacheco, but before that had back-to-back wins over Vanessa Melo and Abigail Montez. I expect Aspen Ladd to win that fight and hopefully get off to a good start in this season. I, I, I'd i be intrigued by that matchup if we get that at some point. You know, Noah, that makes me very happy to hear that coming from your mouth. <laughs> I could tell when you were like, uh, you know, you're feeling a little unsure about throwing her name out there. I'm like, no, yep. Dom, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hit you again. Like, no, stop putting your hands up. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as the heavyweights go, it is an interesting development. Ante D'Elia, last season's that sucks. I didn't even know that. Yeah, out of this card. I, well, I was noticing when I was kind of looking through it early this week, you know, when PFL fighters drop out, I feel like they don't get announced. Like, they don't pop up on our Twitter feed like the UFC <laughs> fight getting yeah. uh, t- scrapped, dude. So I have to kind of do some more digging. So I was like kind of, you know, doing my betting stuff for this card. I'm like, wait a minute, where's Ante D'Elia? Mm. And then I looked it up, and, yeah, he was supposed to fight Jorgen DeCastro in the main event here. But um, his future, you know, I assume he'll at least – I don't know. It's kind of weird, right? Because what's chance? I mean, he's basically going to get one fight after this, and he's going to have to use that as his way in. Basically, you kind of have to get a quick six. Yeah. Yeah. So that sucks for him. It really does. But I guess that leaves the door open. And really, even if he was involved, Dom, this just feels like a wide open division right now. For sure. Of course, you have 2021's heavyweight cha- uh, heavyweight champion. Bruno Capeloza, who really disappointed last season, I would say. Um, He's back here, though, actually fighting the man who sort of ended his season last year. And I guess I'll just ask you this question about the heavyweights as a whole. Out of all the heavyweights on this card, with Ante D'Elia being out, who do you think is going to step up here and kind of maybe show some people like, okay, this is the guy who maybe I can point to as like the front runner for this season. All right. You ready for this now? I'm going to go big here. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to aim at the fence. I'm going to call my shot. Yep. The winner of Henan Fajera and Rizvan Kunaev will be the 2023 heavyweight champion. Ooh, and that is okay. the fight I'm most excited for on this card as well. 
Okay, so I, I'm I'm with you. I was gonna say Kunaev myself. That's of yeah. course the Eagle FC heavyweight champion. He looked really good from yeah. what I've seen of him. Henan Fajera, God, you know I love me some Henan Fajera, man. I love me some Henan Fajera, but boy, was his last performance a dud. <laughs> yeah, and it just and it's got me like really. And I I felt the same way with Bruno, man. I loved Bruno Capaluza, and then the way he looked against Matthias Scheffel, I was like. This is this your king? Is this my king? Like yeah. that's how I felt, you know. Yeah. And um, Henan Fajera though, he just he's got the two fastest knockouts in PFL history. <laughs> um, he is a massive man. I think he's just. I worry he's just too green. I guess he just yeah. seems like he doesn't quite have the fully fleshed out skill set. But he does worry me in this matchup. Uh, I do have some money riding on Kunaev here. And I do get worried with the knockout power that Fahara possesses. You know, it's just, it just takes one and you're out. You can't take many from that guy. Yeah. And, you know, say what you will with Hennon and some of his fights and even the quick ones or the dull ones, you know, he has in the grand scheme of things had fought better competition. So can Rizvan kind of rise to the occasion here coming from Eagle FC? I think it's a big question, but if he has a big performance here, he definitely like just, I think runs away with this thing, honestly, but I'm going to hold reservations. But yeah, that's that's my that's my big take there. I think the winner of this one, the six foot eight giant, or the Eagle FC champ, one of them will be the PFL champ this year. Can I give you a dark horse real quick for this division? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to go with Matthias Scheffel, actually. Hey man, I mean, so it's going to be tough going up against Bruno again. If we get the Bruno Capelos of 2021, oh. this could be tough. But yeah. He looked good in the way he kind of neutralized Bruno's game. That's so based on power and, you know, getting you out of there quick. He mm. really extended that fight and won a decision pretty easily. Dominic, out of his last five fights, Sheffield's three and two. Both his losses are to Ante D'Elia. So if D'Elia is sort of out of the picture, mm. you know, Matthias Sheffield has looked pretty good against everybody else. Juan Adams, he beat last year. Then you had Jose Rodrigo. I don't even know how to say that last name before the first loss to Delia. So Delia is a bit of his kryptonite, but I would I would love to say Bruno for this answer, but I feel like Matthias Scheffel might be his kryptonite. It's uh mm -hmm. it's tough to see. You know, you see these with the PFL, these guys that stay on for a while. A lot of these guys will fight multiple times. And yeah, yeah. you know, it's possible we just get a completely different Bruno Capelosa here, a more reinvigorated, a guy with a better game plan, a better uh, camp maybe coming in with less injuries or whatever it could be. Um, it's 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 interesting. I do think you are going to see one of those guys, kind of those four we talked about, someone stepping up. And yeah, shout yeah. out to John Jones Posse. They're representing on here. You got two of the John Jones uh, uh, training partners, Jorgen DeCastro and then Maurice Green fighting on here as well. And it's good to see those two guys, you know, guys that kind of fizzled out at UFC heavyweight, but they're getting another chance, a second mm -hmm. chance at life here and a chance to win a million dollars. Like it's all maybe, dude, maybe Jorgen DeCastro is a low key little sleeper to even win this thing. You never know, yeah. man. I was planning to come on here and make some joke about the fight with Carlos Felipe. <laughs> oh. But then yeah. what's funny, Dom, is I was planning to do that actually yesterday when we were planning to record, <laughs> but due to storms could not do. I get on Twitter during the time that we're trying to record and I see someone had posted, I forget if it was Marcel or who it was that Carlos Felipe is going to be fighting in a promotion uh, coming up here soon. And I was like, God, I'm like, please just make it better than the Oregon to Castro fight. 
that's an all-time moment for this show yeah so with that we're actually gonna move on to the below average bet slip we did save most of the betting talk for here um dominic i believe will have our plays all kind of just thrown up on the screen i will just hit a few of the ones i want to go in more detail about i am taking alex pajara money line he's plus 110 as i took him at dominic i'm going to put it like this i understand israel asanya has won the majority of the rounds he's i mean got more skills than pajara he has the more well-rounded game he nearly put out Pajara in the first or yeah, the first MMA fight, but he's 3-0. Mm. I will allow Izzy to prove me wrong here and win. I think it's very realistic that he could win. I don't hate the odds that he's the favorite, but when I see a guy who's 3-0 and is plus value, I am going to take him and I'm not going to overcomplicate it. With that being said, I'm also taking under 4.5 at mm. minus 125. You know, this this fight could go a lot of different ways, and it's tough to know, you know, because this fight ended around that, that would that line would yeah. be cutting it close for the last fight. Um, but you see that these guys, the moments they had in that fight were both had each other, you know, Pahara on, you know, that man was had the had the Tweety bird flying around his head. He was so <laughs> out of it at the end of round one. Yeah. And then of course, is he getting knocked out in round five? Something's gotta change for this fight. I don't expect to get the same fight we got last time. Someone has to do something different here. And I think because of that, I could see this fight being ended a lot quicker, a lot more of an emphatic finish, a bit of a stamp on this rivalry, even if it does continue from there. The one that might jump out to a lot of people, Jorge Masvidal by KOTKO. Dominic, the dogs are barking. Can I, this is a, I think there's a lot of opportunity here for dogs to cash on this card throughout. So <laughs> yeah, you're going to see a, it with me as well. It's a huge underdog card. Yeah. Masvidal by KOTKO. Don't get me wrong. I get it. I said I highly favor Gilbert Burns in this fight. But when I get a guy like Masvidal, who has not won a fight outside of KOTKO, probably since, God, I mean, you're going back 2016, maybe. It's been years. Yeah. Um, And you have him at plus 700 in his hometown, home state, with his back against the wall, a title shot, just just in reach, even after he has lost three straight fights, I'm going to jump on it. Plus and, 700. and you went full unit, right? Oh, I went full unit. Oh, <laughs> baby. I really went for it. And, you know, I was going to do the half unit, and I said, nah, fuck it. I would hate to look at that little 0. <laughs> 0.5 on the screen. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I also took Rob Font money line at plus 160. Chris Curtis money line at plus 110. Don for the PFL. Dogs are barking over there. I took oh, Matthias Scheffel at plus 160. Same reason. He looked so good against Capaloza the first time. I'll let Capaloza prove me wrong, but I'm not going to overthink it. Scheffel at plus money. He's already beat the guy. That was literally Capaloza's last fight in the PFL. Yeah. How much has he learned from that fight? Time will tell. Um, I have a few parlays, four of them to be exact. <laughs> the one I'll focus on, I guess, a plus 201. I know me and Dom differ on one of the fights on here, which is uh, mm. going to be a, some calls for some beef, I think, between us. No, not really. But this was my way to protect myself, even though it's really not. Like, this is not an easy parlay yeah, to hit. It's here. not a technical hedge. <laughs> Jacqueline Amorum, Carl Williams, Raul Rosas Jr., and Gilbert Burns. So I, even though I do have the Masvidal bet, if it hits, I can't champion myself as like some, you know, I called it 
because I also have a play on Gilbert Burns' money line in this parlay. So that plus 201, I like it quite a bit, but I understand Dominic hates it because, you know, he just likes to fade me every chance he gets. But that's no. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But my PFL parlay, Larissa Pacheco, Rizvan Kunayev, and Aspen Ladd, plus 111. I like that one. I don't love Pacheco at minus 800, but I also think she's going to win. What and, was you know, Aspen? Just curious. Ooh, she was like a minus, ooh, I want to say around 300, maybe, okay. yeah. something like that. And then Kunayev's like a minus 190. Mm, I actually so he, like he that. Was the one. He was up. the one. Yeah, he was the one that really got me to that plus money. But um, yeah, I'll be posting on my personal Twitter, you know, a little bit more. I'm going to try to mix it up with when I post my plays. I'm going to actually give some detail, do like a thread. Never mm-hmm. done a thread before on Twitter, but that's what I'm going to do. Each bet kind of gives some thoughts about why I'm playing it. So you can follow me at what even is my handle now, Dom? <laughs> I don't even... It's uh, Noah Baker MMA. At yeah. Noah Baker MMA. God, I couldn't remember. Uh, you can follow Dominic on his Twitter, Instagram at dsleep14, and then you can follow our below average Joe's MMA show Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, all that. But Twitter, Dominic will be posting all of these plays on there. If you want to look at them more, if you don't want to, you know, I'm I know they're not going to be up the whole time as we're talking about them. So feel free to go over there. Those will be posted before the fights. Uh, that's at the Bajma in mm-hmm. the top left corner of your screen. If you're watching on YouTube, the B A J. MMA. Dominic, do you want to give some thoughts on your plays? Yeah, man. So big slate from you. You've really came out swinging since you've returned from suspension. (laughs) And I know I love it. I love high volume plays this week. I'm kind of back last week was only able to get three and it was all Bellator guys. I just want to preface here. No PFL for me. I'm in the state of Ohio. Noah got these plays in while he was still in Indiana. I don't know why, but for now, the PFL is not available to bet on in the state of Ohio. I hope that that changes. I don't know why it is not available, um, especially because they're literally partnered with DraftKings. I, I don't understand that. So hopefully that'll come sooner rather than later. So I can only bet on UFC and Bellator for now. Uh, but for this card, I have six plays. The This is my favorite bet of the card, actually. The first one that I wanted to talk about, Jacqueline Amorum. Okay, she's making her UFC debut. LFA champion undefeated every single win of hers is by finish she's fighting sam hughes seasoned veteran been in there with a lot of good competition but the future's now what did i just say about luana there's not a lot of prospects at 115 pounds jacqueline looks like she could be the next up kind of to lead this charge maybe come in right behind like lupi godinez who's also there in that running She's very, very good, very, very experienced in the jujitsu world, like a multi-time black belt. Yeah. I think it's like a four-time oh, yeah. black Incredible belt or jiu-jitsu. something. So, and even on the hand or even on the feet, she's got a knockout on her record too. So I just think Sam Hughes is a tough fight for a debutante. But if she's as good as they're saying, then I'm gonna believe in it here. And it was plus 130, by the way, for Jacqueline Amorum to win. By knockout, I like it. Sam Hughes only only two and four in the UFC, by the way. So been in there with good competition, hasn't beat a lot of good competition. Yeah, man, she's been finishing two out of her five losses. I just really like the young up and comer here in that one. And it was plus money for finish, and she's literally won every fight by finish. I'm I'm all over it every time. It don't matter who that you could be. Oh, five and ten, all five wins by finish. I still might take a stab at you. (laughs) Anyways, this is where we kind of differ, but. 
no matter what, assuming your parlay were to hit, if Chase Sherman loses, we would still come out in the green regardless. I win okay, a but half unit. Can, can we talk about this one? Oh, you only want a half unit? Okay. I, I only I mean, want a half unit. Yeah. I'll let you finish what the play is, but I got to give my thought. Yeah, so I, I threw a half unit down on Chase Sherman at plus 330 against Carl Williams. Why? Well, to be honest, I don't really know why. But listen, Carl Williams debuted in the UFC literally a couple weeks ago. I think it was on the uh, <laughs> that's really recent. The Marlon Vera card, I think, is the one he thought. It was either that or the Jan Moran. Yeah, that's card. what it was. The Jan, yeah. So literally less than a month ago. Um, and Chase has been in a fight camp. I forget whose original opponent was. Wasn't it uh, Huggy Bear? It was Huggy Bear, yeah. Yeah, because we talked about how we were going to take a stab on him if he was the underdog. But uh, I don't know, man. There's something about kind of Carl Williams. It was against um, Bresky was his debut. Yeah. He's basically just a bloated light heavyweight that just doesn't want to yeah. cut weight anymore and was fighting at heavyweight. I can very much eat my words, and I'm fine with that because it means Noah could hit a parlay. But I want him to kind of just prove it. I know Chase Sherman's record in the UFC is horrendous for the most part, but he does have a couple wins in there. I'm thinking maybe, just maybe, if he can keep it standing, he's going to have better hands. Maybe he pulls off a decision. Maybe, Noah, the guy's got 15 knockouts to his name. Maybe he gets one here and be, plays the spoiler. I just wanted to take a stab, but go ahead. So I'm just going to tell you, when I looked at that fight at first, I was like, Carl Williams should not be a minus 400 plus against anybody. Yeah. Especially not on short notice as he yeah. is. Yeah. Being as inexperienced as he is in the UFC. Lucas Bresky was a guy I didn't think they should have gave a contract to on the contender series to begin with. So I'm not all that, you know, overly impressed by the win. Uh Chase Sherman's had two stints in the UFC. He's four and ten. Yeah. Um, but let me continue with why again, at first I'm like kind of against this idea of taking um did I just say? I, I forgot his name. Carl. Yeah, Carl yeah. Williams. Um, minus 400, I'm like, okay, that's crazy. <laughs> and then I'm also thinking, Dom, he's taking us on such short notice from his last fight. His last fight, he did not show great cardio, great stamina down the stretch. Yeah. Yet the way that he won that fight and the way I imagine he'd win this fight is by using a lot of wrestling, a lot of yeah. top control. If his gas tank didn't hold up on a full on a full camp, I'd be a little nervous about it holding up here. And then I went, but wait a minute, he's fighting Chase Sherman. <laughs> yeah, but I get it because right. that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, for that plus money, and you consider that Chase Sherman's the guy that was fully preparing for this fight. Yeah, and you know, does have the knockout power. And maybe, just maybe, if Carl Williams, even if Carl Williams controlled, dominated the first two rounds, he may gas out, and then Sherman could put him out in round three. I get it. Mm. And you may make me my words. I don't blame you, because this is a dog card. So dogs yeah. are going to eat dogs sometimes. Oh, it's going to happen. Yeah, for sure. But I I, I literally, I, that, literally everything told me not to bet it, and I went, but he's fighting Chase Sherman. <laughs> So you're like, fuck it. Parlay it is. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Chase Sherman. Please do not kill me if you ever see me. But so yeah, again, ahead. if so, if I hit, we come up positive, even if yeah. Noah's parlay misses. If the rest of Noah's legs hit and obviously Carl Williams wins, then we will still truly come up I kind of want I'm kind of rooting for your I'm rooting for yours and then my Mosvidal one because then it doesn't matter be what big. happens the rest of the day. Yeah, no. If that Mosvidal one hits and, and this at a half unit. We may never bet again. We'll just mic drop and yep. we'll just, yeah, it'll just stay. Every week we'll come back to this segment. We'll just put up that those two bets hit and then we'll move yep. on. 
Exactly, exactly. Um, moving on, here I have a couple money line parlays for this one. Two leg, plus 109, Lupi Godinez. Big fan of her. I'm definitely in the Lupi Godinez yeah. fan club. And B. Joe Pfeiffer. I actually really, really believe in him, man. I think it's going to be a fun fight. I don't think it's necessarily going to come as easy as his debut did. But Gerald Mearchart, when he loses, he gets finished, man. And Joe Pfeiffer's a killer. He's got just got the momentum. He's got the UFC and Dana White on his side as well, kind of pushing his name. I like this spot here for him, putting those two together at plus odds. I really like that one. Um, I took the, the dogs. They keep barking. Michelle Watterson Gomez plus 140. Guys, you heard me talk about it in the breakdown of the fight earlier. The veteran expertise, the competition, uh, just her all-around skill set. I think right now it's a bit too much too soon for Luana Pinheiro. Plus, coming off a layoff, torn ACL and everything. I'm going with the karate hottie on that one at plus 140. Chris Curtis, plus 110 is nice, what I got him nice. at on uh, Bet365, actually. But I know Noah got him at plus 100 as well. So it was plus odds for both of us. And I, I again... If he keeps the fight standing, which he's shown he can do against every fighter, I think he's better on the feet. He can mix it up better with the strikes, with his hands. I like that here. Kelvin Gaslam ain't fought in a long time. It's a good fight for him to come back, but a tough one. Noah's dying at the bit to say something. What is it? I did also get it at plus 110. Even better because it's not 2.1 units. <coughs> it's 2.2 units mm -hmm. when we hit it, baby. Let's go. Next one. Two-leg money line parlay. Kevin Holland, Raul Rosas Jr. Put them together. I minus 102. I yeah. oh, I couldn't get it to plus money. Hey, I had a parlay like two. that too. What did I say? I said I never put a parlay in. That was minus money again, and then I did. So Okay, perfect. I'm glad we could do it together this time. I'm well, I noticed to... how many of my singles were plus money. I was like, yeah. well, fuck, man. I guess I don't have to depend on my parlays to give me some plus money here. So There you go. When in doubt. So I really like that one, man. I just think Kevin, especially if he's at his best, can start Santiago. Even if he's not at his best, I think he can still win that fight. Raul, dude's a young phenom, man. What can I say? I think Christian Rodriguez is good, but I think Raul could be the future of this sport. So I wanted to put those two together. And uh, that was it. So yeah, six plays. Maybe adding a couple more. But like honestly, outside of picking like straight-up money line plays, you know, the over-unders, the winning methods. I, I searched and didn't find too many that I liked. So this will probably stay my slate, but you guys will see the full one if you follow us on social. So, Well said. And with that, we will move on to the only segment we know how to end the show with. Um, it's a little segment called Closing Statements. Point mm -hmm. of the show where me and Dominic talk about M anything and everything, MMA or not. I kind of love that. But uh, Dominic, I actually have something prepared this time. So mm -hmm. uh, this was something I kind of had in the actual full, you know, MMA talk of the episode. Didn't really fit anywhere. We already had a lot to talk about. So I said, you know what? I'm going to use it for my closing statement. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and go first. Basically, Dominic, I want to talk about Francis Ngannou and some mm -hmm. interesting comments made by uh, BKFC president David Feldman. Now, I think most people weren't really thinking that Nganu out of all the options he had that BKFC was a pretty, I didn't think that was a very realistic one. Don't get me wrong. I think that they're offering a lot of money to people. That's why like Luke Rockhold and even Mike Perry and Chad Mendez, Eddie Alvarez are going there. But I just felt like for Nganu, it was like a PFL or it was boxing. Like I, I thought that was pretty much it. However, I did find it interesting because I've been seeing a lot of people on Twitter 
talking about Ngannou, and I'll follow that, you know, what mm-hmm. I've been seeing with this quote from David Feldman, because I believe he was asked about uh, Ngannou. I think the Schmo asked him a question at the press conference about, um, I, I think Ben Rothwell's opponent might be out of their fight or something, and he was asking about Ngannou being like a potential replacement or something. So David Feldman's quote was, we talked to him, we talked to his team. At this point, we just feel like he's asking for unrealistic money. We're not willing to pay that kind of money for him. I do think he needs to make up his mind pretty soon because I feel like as the days go on, his value is starting to drop a little bit. Mm. And this quote mixed with the fact that a decision hasn't been made for him. It seems like some of the boxing opportunities have gone quiet. You know, the Tyson Fury fight, mm-hmm. the uh, Deontay Wilder fight, or Anthony Joshua, whoever. It feels like those are not being really talked about. Um, it seems like the PFL continues to say that their negotiations are going very well with them. But um, everywhere else, you know, Dana, of course, had that infamous quote where he said, Ngani will never fight in the UFC again. I saw a lot of people kind of, you know, they, they seem to have their mind made up that, uh, you know, Ngannou made the wrong choice here. That mm-hmm. um, either he should have stuck with the UFC or he should have made a decision sooner, whatever it might be. And Dominic, I just kind of want to get your thoughts here real quick. Did Francis Ngannou make a mistake by leaving the UFC? As of now, do you feel like he might have made a mistake? Um, I think... I'm going to say yes. And, you know, I think the term that people are throwing around and that I've seen a lot is he, you know, fumbled the bag, right? As the kids yeah. say these days. And uh, it's it's a shame. He's like the most kind-hearted, gentle, genuine, gentle giant I feel like you could ever have in this world. He's such just a specimen of a human. And, uh, you know, a UFC world champion when he leaves the company, it's crazy now. And I didn't even know the full quote, so I'm glad you read the entirety of the thing. And, you know, shout out to David Feldman. We've talked about him a little bit before. He seems like a very I like him. savvy, smart business. No nonsense. Man. He's very yeah. much like blunt and he's very open and honest. And that's what yes. he's been. Anytime I've listened to his interviews with Ariel, I have a lot of, I like the guy. I mean, there's some weird things, you know, matchmaking yep. that I'm not huge on. You know, that guy that unfortunately mm-hmm. uh, passed away in their promotion. But it's, I, I do like him as, like, I think he's the right guy. For BKFC to be really try to take them to where they might need to go. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so again, I mean, like I said, I think, I think I go with yes, as much as I hate to even say that, um, you know, he took a chance on himself. He wanted to test free agency and you're, you know what that quote said though, day by day, he's kind of running out of that shine, you know, that him being the UFC heavyweight champion is awesome, but you know, he's not anymore. John Jones is now. And it, it, it just keeps evolving and moving mm-hmm. on without him. And, you know, and when he's being so quiet in his own right as well, not really talking up a big game during free agency on a public level, I think that kind of lowers the stardom of him as well. So you just kind of combine all those factors. Right now, I think, yes, it, it, it could be a mistake for him leaving. I think I look back to when we first, uh, when Tyson Fury knocked out Dillian White and he brought Ngannou into the mm-hmm. ring with him. We talked about that on this on this show, and I remember specifically I said that you know Francis Ngannou is a star as the UFC heavyweight champion, but how does he really how is he really valued when he's no longer the UFC heavyweight champion? 
Yeah. Well, some guys make belts and some guys are made by the belt. Mm. And I think for a guy like Francis Ngannou, I, I, I don't think he had quite gotten to a point where he'd made the belt. I think yeah. that the belt had certainly made him a feared. He was already a feared heavyweight, but in terms of being looked at as the best heavyweight in the world, the baddest man on the planet. Yeah. His yeah. win over Stipe is what ultimately catapulted him into that and opened up all these possibilities. Mm-hmm. However, he walks away from the UFC, relinquishes the heavyweight title or is stripped of the heavyweight title. And now it seems like his only options are really to go to like BFL, which could be great, but also, you know, you feel like this is a guy and, and some people are probably going to look at this like, well, Ngannou didn't say that he wanted to leave, you know, out of some sort of monetary purpose. It more had to do with the freedom, right? His mm-hmm. ability to make his own decisions and be able to box or do MMA, whatever. So if you want to take that at face value, that he's doing this as because he believes the UFC need to treat their fighters better and all this. I mean, don't be wrong. I don't believe Francis Ngannou to be a, a liar. Like, I think he does seem right. like a very genuine guy. But I think it's a little crazy to assume that this decision had nothing to do with him believing he could get a bigger payday elsewhere. Like, I don't think that's crazy. Right. I think it's crazy that people think that that had nothing to do with his decision. A hundred percent did. Yeah. So if he's not able to get that, Dominic, it feels like the biggest thing for him that he can still potentially get is to just come back to the UFC and fight John Jones. All would be right. And I kind of, and what David Feldman said does kind of make sense. Like the longer he waits, you know, if he does, if for some reason the the parties came together to renegotiate, although Chael talked about this a bit on his uh, YouTube channel and he said, he's like, guys, they're still talking. He's like, I know what Dana said. Don't think that they're not still in in talks with Ngannou's team. Like it's, you're not going to let a guy like that just, you know, walk away without at least keeping the door open, no right. matter what he's, Dana says. For sure. However, I do worry as the days go by, you know, it feels like the leverage, the, the negotiating power is on the UFC, with the UFC. 100%. Right now, it's all UFC now. It felt I like think. when Ngannou was contemplating walking away and you had that huge fight with Jones staring in yes. his face, he had a real big chance to cash out right there. But it seems like whether due to his actual values of the situation, wanting to have that freedom, whatever it might be, obviously the freedom to go take a massive payday in boxing, he took his ball and ran with it. And right now, time will tell. I think if he went to the PFL, a lot of people would look at that as like a consolidation or a, a like a participation, almost like a mm. he's settling. But I do think there could be some value in having him as like a face of that pay-per-view division mm-hmm. that they're wanting to start, and he would be a big name for it. I'm just not sure if, you know, I just worry about, uh, again, the longer this goes on, I don't think it actually benefits him to be waiting it out. No, yeah. That, like that quote said, it only is going to get harder and harder for him. So, I, Like, Dominic, know. hear me out. I'm not sure if the UFC would do this. I'm not sure. But let's say Ngannou said – Came back to the table with the UFC, and he goes, I want a one-fight deal. I want John Jones. Probably wouldn't happen. I feel like the UFC would want to have him down for more fights. They'd mm-hmm. want more control because 
you know, what if Ngannou went in and beat John Jones? Beat he's, the he's huge. Yeah. Then he could walk away, and then maybe some of those opportunities come back. I don't think that could happen, but I'm just saying, like, that at least has to be entertained, right? The idea mm-hmm. that if he could, it feels like if he wants to be a guy that can be separate from being, like, that he can be a man without the title, beating John Jones is your path to do that. Yeah. And um, with that, Dominic, do you have anything for closing statements? I think that's a good one because we usually don't get conversations involved with MMA. And if they are, they usually aren't that long. I'm glad you brought that up, my friend. Well, my name is Noah Baker. That's Dominic Slee. We are but just two of the below average Joes, and we'll see you guys on Monday.